0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to AGI SureTrack Coffee Talk. Today's episode is Carbon Market Discussions. Here's your host, Laura Hankey.
1: All right. Thanks, Brian. Happy Friday, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. Micah, Jason, thank you both for joining us here this morning. Happy to be here. Yeah, great. Well, we're excited to talk about this important topic around carbon markets today. I feel like we have a lot of ground to cover and a short amount of time to do it in. So, Michael, let's go ahead and get started with you here this morning to learn a little bit more about your role in carbon markets through the National Agricultural Law Center. Can you hear me? We can, we can hear you.
2: Okay, sorry, it just cut out. Um, so what was the question? I'm sorry, I only got half of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no worries, technology, huh? So. I was asking, can you tell us a little bit about your role within the carbon market space on the National Agricultural Law Center team?
2: Right. So um, I'm an attorney for the National Agricultural Law Center, and my role there is I, my focus of research is finance credit bankruptcy and so with these carbon markets obviously i mean we're top heavy with finance issues and and looking at the financial kind of what's going to happen repercussions of all these markets like how's the market going to look in the ag space so um and at my office we're um pretty much a office within the University of Arkansas system, um, but we are a national office uh, funded under USDA um, research library. And so we are national in scope. And so we look at everything uh, that can affect any any farmer, any producer anywhere in the nation. So uh, obviously, with carbon markets, it's going to be a complete national boom. Um, so that's pretty much where I'm looking at it from. Is a national stance, not just Arkansas. We are not focused just on Arkansas, um, even though we're housed there. So uh, that's pretty much where we're at. We're just rolling with the the punches as they keep those, these markets keep progressing. We keep learning more about it, um, and so that's where we're at. Yeah, great.
1: So in the extensive research time that you have spent learning more about carbon markets and what they mean for the U.S. farmer, um, you found that there's two basic types of carbon markets right now, the U.S. in the U.S., the compliance and the voluntary. So, you know, obviously, this voluntary market is going to be our conversation here this morning, but I don't think we can dismiss the compliance side either. Where are things out there, Micah? Are you seeing some growth on the the uh, regulation and the involuntary side?
2: Right. So um, with the involuntary side, uh, they sometimes call compliance markets, regulatory markets, or cap and trade. Um, And for anyone out in California, you've probably heard of the cap and trade program, Um, but it's not specific to ag. Um, On the international level, New Zealand, I believe, tried uh, using a cap and trade for agriculture, but it didn't go over well. And that was shot down in 2015. So really cap and trade is uh, the government wants to regulate an industry, um, their carbon emissions or GHGs, any kind of GHGs, they want to limit that. So uh, the government will release these permits or make them available. And these companies, these industries, like let's take uh energy producer energy factory or something like that they they give off a ton of ghg so government will regulate them they'll have to purchase permits uh pretty much to get to their limit of ghg emissions so how the market kind of plays in that is people these industries can sell um, permits other companies will hold these permits they'll sell them if they want to emit more and so they'll have to buy them and stuff like that so um there's also Besides California, there's a, um, Reggie is uh, nine or 10 states in the northeast corner, like New York, Maine, New Hampshire. They are a part of this uh, kind of coalition to regulate, and it's kind of a cap and trade. Um, nothing in the ag space right now, but it's working just like California kind of, but it's more of a commitment more than like actual law. Um, so that's where we're at right there. Uh you know, I don't think.
1: Oh, I think we lost you, Micah.
0: I think you're right.
2: There he is.
1: All right. You're muted there, Micah. I have all right. No, no worries. What's
2: going on. I'm so sorry.
1: That's all right. It happens from time to time. We all know what technology is like. So, Micah, you were saying you don't think what's happening with the Reggie. Oh, I think Micah muted on us again. Well, Jason, let's go ahead and continue on with the conversation. You know, shifting gears to look at some of these voluntary voluntary market opportunities. You know, you've been heavily researching this as well. You guys have um, a great offering there to provide farmers with the data solutions that they need to even enter some of these markets. It, is everything that you're seeing coming from the private sector right now?
0: Yeah, it is, and it is. You know, there aren't a lot of teeth to any of this stuff yet either, which I think is why it's kind of limiting. The, the farmers, I'm going to say enthusiasm around, okay, you know, we're, 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 hearing about all this stuff again. This is the newest thing to, to come after us for, for something, right? I got to do something and what's it, what's in it for me type, type stuff. And so I think this has happened a few times in agriculture. And so I think farmers for the most part, I, I think they're generally excited about them, but there is so much ambiguity in all of the programs so far. There's, there's not a clear set of requirements. There's not a clear, um, Value to to what's you know what is a, a ton of carbon worth, and what are the requirements for me to participate in these programs? And so, you know, most of them that I've that I've heard, and and I'm happy to get uh, Micah's thoughts here, are around you're going to need to have probably two years of cropping cycle data. So if you're a corn soybean rotation, you're going to have to have you know probably four years worth of data to be able to qualify initially as a baseline to be able to get into these programs and what we're finding out is there's a lot of dollars from a lot of these voluntary um sources who who want to be doing the right thing and are claiming they're doing the right thing but there isn't enough data so far for a lot of farmers to participate in even what the baseline is not counting what data you're going to need to collect going forward to, to to make it you know participate in the programs going forward and And those programs go anywhere from, you know, I think the 10 years if it's a non-pilot program to all the way up to like 99 years. And so that's a pretty big commitment. And that's why I'm excited to have Micah here to give us all the answers to all of the questions that come up with what a 99-year commitment might be, given the fact that, you know, we've got landlords involved and we've got farmers involved and we've got usually entities that are split into a bunch of different fractions involved. And and wow there's just a lot of opportunity for a young lawyer to to take this one by the horns
1: yeah and Micah, from what i'm understanding too is is those aren't a, a paid 99 years that's permanence beyond your contract and so that's what you're expected to maintain is that correct
2: yes i i believe so um really i and I believe there's only one company that I've ran across that has that 99 years. And obviously with these markets still kind of being new and fresh, we don't know how many people have actually signed up for this 99 year commitment, which is, and I would say that the number is very low since Purdue university actually came out with a study that says, um, I don't know if y'all saw it. It was more of a, uh, it wasn't a study. They did a survey to see how many farmers have actually heard about carbon markets. And they said about 40%. But they also said only 1% of farmers in the nation have actually signed up for to be a participant in these carbon markets. So we really don't know. And with so many out there, and it seems like a new one pops up every single day, probably by the time we're talking right now or finish this discussion, there's gonna be a new one, it seems like. So I really don't know the implications of that ninety-nine years or if it will completely be paid or and the the scary thing is is what is considered breach or default or something like that 99 years. And and if there's something in the contract that says you can't, you know, lease your land to someone new or sell your land during that 99 years, I mean, that's a that's a hard pill to swallow right there. 99 years is a, a pretty good chunk of time
1: hmm. It is a good chunk of time. And, you know, but on the other side of the conversation, it's pretty typical on the wind energy side. Most people are signing 99 year contracts up for, okay. for the wind turbines.
2: That is and, you know, the water um, quality and quantity stuff and the the water trade that I mean, I think that was pretty typical. They're pretty long contracts. hmm.
1: Yeah. So, you know, next question here, what happens with additionality? You know, Jason, you mentioned that they're looking for four years of data to even begin the process of of entering and capitalizing on some of these carbon market opportunities, but they're not offering additionality. So the baseline starts the day that you sign up. So they want the data. But are you going to be compensated for those four years of data? What are you seeing there?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a real tricky one, and I think that's one of the biggest barriers. The reason that one percent of the I, I think the you know the eligible folks have participated is because the burden is pretty high to participate, and even that I'd say that one percent that's participating they've probably done it on a very small scale. It's probably not an entire farm operation, you know, enterprise standpoint. So, I think we're we're seeing demand, and that this is where the the interoperability of the data comes in into play, and so. When you're collecting data, you got to make sure it's in a place that allows it to move around with your permission freely and in its complete form. And that's a challenge that we oftentimes see is that data that comes out of a lot of the systems is not the same data that's oftentimes recorded. And so the reason this is such an important deal is that I'm gonna say there's three there's three drivers that need to work together here to to really make this carbon this carbon credit or carbon market work. One of them is generally it's the incentive is coming from a processor at some point, right, it's coming from an end user who desires to buy um, commodities that were grown in a way that that is consistent with their messaging. And so you've got a need from a processor who's generally the one that's that's leading the charge in, in some form of payment for if you follow these these practices, you know, there's something available. So you've got a processor that needs the data. You've got a farmer who actually creates the data for more than half of the the required data that that goes into participating in this carbon credit, but then oftentimes you have uh, an ag retailer who may be doing some work as well. So they may be doing some contract application work of either crop protection or fertilizer, which impacts you know the layers that we're collecting to have the complete picture from a from a field operation standpoint. And then you're also going to have some you know you need some soil layers to come in. And oftentimes weather is an important piece of it as well. And so when you think about it, this data has got to be able to move between all of these parties freely in order to enable the the final result of this carbon credit. And so I think that's the challenge a lot of people have right now is I've got, you know, this type of equipment over here and my data is over here and I've got this type of equipment over here and my data is over here. And when I export that data, you know, how, how do these layers come together? And traditionally, it's not easy especially when they're coming from different systems and we've even heard uh, as many uh, talk to a guy who is paying ten dollars an acre to try to bring that data together and so i think there are easy things a grower can do to be prepared to participate in these markets you know having having a a a, a puck in a machine that's collecting the data even though if you don't know yet what to do with it having making sure you're collecting that data in the background with minimal amount of effort is helpful for whenever you choose to participate in these programs, and so I, I think that's really what needs to happen first. Is you got to start to collect it before be, before any of this other things can happen. And I think most farmers understand that, and they're kind of sitting back and saying, "Okay, I'm going to start to get my ducks in a row here. I got to start asking my ag retailer for those those application layers because that's an important piece here." But I want to I want to make sure to emphasize that having that data move around just because you have it on a thumb drive or something doesn't mean it's going to be easy for you to participate in these programs. And so if you want to do a little bit of work on the front end to reduce the cost that you're going to have to participate in these programs, the data collection piece and the interoperability piece is something you really need to question whoever your provider is to make sure that you're not going to have to go through this extra $10 to pay someone else. And if you're getting a $15 credit, suddenly 10 of it has gone into trying to get the data together and then it becomes you know less enticing for the growers.
1: So what I'm hearing collection, transfer, storage of data all paramount to being able to enter these markets. Micah, from what you're seeing in your research, who owns the data? So once you enter into that agreement, do you remain in ownership of your data or is it a free-for-all at that point?
2: Oh, we have no clue because I I can't get my hands on some of these contracts. I would love to see a contract if anyone has. A shareable legally, you can share the contract. You can email me at mrb021 at york.edu because we would love my whole office would love to see a contract because we've only seen one, um, and that was specifically for forestry. So, um, we really don't know. The answer is we have no clue who's actually going to own this. It depends on contractual law, it depends what you have signed over the rights to these companies to have. Um, and of course, I'm,
0: I'm happy to send, I'm happy to send our data policy over to you. So it can be the first one you review. And I would challenge any other company that's out there collecting data to send them to you as well. And we can discuss them on future coffee talks. I think that's a great opportunity for us as an industry.
2: That would be fantastic. Cause once again, everyone's going to kind of do something different. And with these markets being completely private, they, they don't have to give anything and they don't have to make They don't have to disclose anything. So really, and the fact that what we're talking about, uh, producers will have to hand over data just to get into these markets. At that point, it might be owned by the verifier that verifies anything or to get your credits. I mean, there will have to be data sharing. But from that point on, I really don't know who's going to own it or what can be shareable. It's all gonna depend on the contract. So I will say, um, before you jump into one of these, I would highly recommend hiring an attorney in your jurisdiction um, that is licensed in your jurisdiction to review a contract before you sign one. Um, That is very important um, because they will be able to help you uh, understand some of these complexities because these contracts, I assume just like almost every contract is complex. Um, So that is just one way to protect yourself from signing up to something that, uh, you don't really want to sign up for. Well,
1: Micah, you mentioned verification. So if I understand it correctly, there are third party verification systems in place. So the company that you sign the contract with is, is likely not going to be the same company that verifies your practices. Is that correct? Oh, I think you've frozen again there, Micah. Hey, Micah, why don't you try to turn your video off and we'll just have a conversation via audio here. If you can hear me. So Jason, um, to your knowledge, that's correct, right? You're working essentially with two entities when you sign one of these contracts.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's there's a third the third party validation is is most of the, and again, it's 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 still voluntary. Um, but I think there's an incumbents upon us as an industry to figure this out, or someone else is gonna come in and 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 regulate it for us. And we all hate that but it's up to us to figure out as an industry how to do this on our own to prevent that from happening. But it it is the Wild West out there, right? Mm -hmm. And there's there's nothing today that I'm aware of that, um, you know, we need to have a system of record that can establish who is participating in what credits where so that people aren't, you know, if if we're participating in, in the same data for five different marketplaces because they're not talking to each other and this is nothing that we haven't seen in, in big data markets before in just about every other industry, how are we going to make sure that, you know, that that one ton of carbon for for that year's production isn't being sold five or six times. And so we we have to figure out as an industry a way to 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 put these things together in the right way, or someone else is going to figure it out for us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Micah, we were just just catching you up here. We were just talking about those third-party verification entities, um, and the fact that when you're signing a contract, you're essentially signing a contract with the entity with which the contract is provided by, plus a third-party verification system. So, both of those uh, companies are going to have access to your data. They're going to be verifying. What have you learned in that space?
2: Really, once again, with these verifiers being completely private they they're not releasing any information. So it's, it's very, we're getting more from the actual like aggregator the the, uh, carbon market operator, the actual company that's establishing it. But from the verifier standpoint, it's, it's very, very secretive kind of, and, and in a way that it is, that they use metrics pretty much to figure out how many credits an actual producer, you know, create, uh, Per acre, uh, how many metric tons? That's usually one metric ton it equals one carbon credit, uh, pretty much across the board in all these markets. So, um, with these verifiers, they have what I would assume different metrics, different calculations to figure out how many carbon credits a farmer is actually, you know, producing per acre. And so, really, without knowing exactly how they calculate this, we don't know. What kind of data they're actually inputting to come up with this calculation. So really that's I mean that's a completely different i, I think frontier uh, a, apart from the actual operator, the the company that created the carbon market. So it's uh they're definitely two separate entities usually uh, and they're completely having different roles to come up with an actual marketplace to sell these. So different frontiers. I would love to know what kind of metrics they're using. Um, I will say um, there is a couple different websites. Um, Jason actually sent me one. Uh, It's actual carbon market company that uh, has their own generator. But uh, Comet Planner um, and Comet Farmer—they they have generators. You can kind of get a ballpark estimate of how many carbon credits your farm or like, you know, you'll input how many acres you you would like to uh, pledge to a carbon market and you pretty much input practices and stuff like that. I don't think it's too detailed, so I don't know what ballpark is in that or like a, a kind of estimate, but um, definitely if you're interested in jumping in some of these markets, I would definitely kind of generate, maybe get a, a comment dash farmer is going to be um, from what I understand, get a closer estimate of what you could actually produce, how many carbon credits you could create through the acreage, but, um, definitely check those out if you're interested.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. we'll definitely provide those resources on our Facebook link as well as in the follow up blog as well. Um, so Jason, anything to add there, you know, what are you guys seeing from folks who want to take their data and enter some of these markets? What are they looking at in terms of challenges to be, to be able to do that?
0: Well, I'll say having accurate planting and, and harvest records are in, in a digital format that can be easily shared is that's like table stakes. Okay. But the where we're seeing additional value come in is is the other activities as well. So tillage, a lot of people don't think about tillage as an activity layer because there's generally not agronomic data. But that is a that is a big part of a lot of these credits and being able to, to verify how you're tilling, if you're tilling, and if you're reducing your tillage. And so that's a big piece that a lot of people, um, I, I think you just, you know, you, you don't think about it when, when you're out doing the work. And, and all of these layers, though, the best way to think about it is anytime a machine passes, uh, you know, across the field, if you have that information, it's going to increase the quality of your data. And I firmly believe it's going to increase the your opportunity to take advantage of some of the higher dollar credits as we get a little bit further down the road.
1: Right. Well, you know, the end goal here is to capture carbon. And so, Micah, from what you've learned, if a farmer isn't able to prove that they're capturing carbon, you know, and and I don't know of the metrics in which they're using to quantify and measure that. Um, I, I don't know how they're doing that. Do you know how that they're how they're doing that? I is can there tell a formal right now, system there's, in place?
0: There's, there's a lot of survey data that's still going on from the major, major companies out here. From the biggest food brands, a lot of them are still requiring you know, a document to be signed asking you some of these questions. And so the legitimacy of that is, is just on a different level from those that fill out paperwork to those that have an actual digital documentation of the field activities that they can verify um, what actually happened.
1: Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, is, if a third party auditor comes in and doesn't think that you are capturing enough carbon, are you in breach of contract then? What, what does that look like?
2: Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> once again, the contract, it is, it is very, once again, I wish I could get my hands on more and just read through all of them. But really, they, I, I assume that every carbon market will definitely have their kind of form of breach. Um, What I have seen is that if you can't produce this many uh, carbon credits or or sequester this much carbon, uh, it might take off like a percentage from your actual contract in a way. And so like you perform 60% of this year's total. And so it'll deduct that way. Um that's maybe one option that these carbon markets are going with. Uh, so it's not a complete breach. a complete breach might be like you know fifty percent if you didn't complete fifty percent of the contract or or what you pledged to sequester um, that could be a complete breach and then you know anything over that you can get paid for that um mm-hmm. with you know, a deduction from what you didn't um under the contract. but other than that i, I it might be if you if you pledge and you know, don't come up with what you pledged or mm-hmm. promised to to produce, it might be a complete breach. And then you don't get paid at all for that that cycle.
1: Right. And, and if I'm a farmer and I'm reading that additionality is not allowed, and I've already been doing a good job of managing my acres, how do you improve from there, Micah?
2: Oh, see, it is, uh, once again, with these, with no... Consistency in the market right now, since it is all individual, it's very hard to determine what actual market. So every market can um, require or uh, only want to take in farmers that do specific practices. Like let's say uh, no-till is one of these carbon-smart practices that most all markets want, but some markets might take uh, you know crop rotation or changing changing up your rotations. Mm-hmm. Some other markets might not consider that. So um, definitely find a market that is, that will pretty much approve all the practices that um, you want to implement, that you can implement. Um, But that's the only way to pretty much improve is finding a market that actually will uh, take these practices into consideration rather than these markets that won't on some of them. uh, one note on additionality. Um, I believe I don't know if the time has passed yet, uh, but I have spoke to Nori. They actually were the only one that I've come across that uh, did retroactive uh, carbon credits from I believe two thousand fifteen to two to twenty twenty maybe. And I don't know if the sign up period for that has passed, um, but they were actually uh, creating, you know, taking all this data taking, having a verifier, pretty much verify these retroactive credits and putting these credits out on the market. Uh, from my understanding, uh, they're the only ones that are like that. Once again, uh, they're still in a pilot phase, I believe. Um, which is their, you know, initial, like this is we're in the marketplace. Now you can join us for our first kind of cycle, I guess, whatever their cycle is. Um, but just, uh, you know there has been some policy uh, suggestions for it to handle this additionality, like um, you know a tax credit maybe for these farmers that have implemented these practices in the past. Um, also, another one is uh, getting a better uh, loan from your ag lender. That that's something, and also maybe a um, um, reduction on your crop insurance. Um, mm-hmm. payment so i mean and are any of these concrete
1: are any of these concrete policies not, that are being implemented right now. right now
2: okay no not right now um but it is being kicked around it's it's kind of being pushed by um coalition of a bunch of um ag supporters like uh american farm bureau federation uh stuff like that they're really pushing for some of this stuff so uh th- they definitely want these farmers, this in additionality issue to be brought to life and they really want to pretty much reward these farmers that have already been doing this for years and years. Yeah.
1: Jason, anything to add there?
2: Yeah, I would say ironically, you know,
0: the same things that your crop insurance guys, you know, need and the same thing that that you need for a lot of times lending, it's all the same data, folks, right? It's all the same data for the most part and that is really, really important. So a carbon credit or some kind of incentive might be the reason that you're you're here listening now just to learn a little bit more about it but there are so many more uses for data and it's only going to accelerate in the future to to participate in a lot of these things and I'm you know while while the enthusiasm on the farm might not be there yet for the carbon markets until they get established I don't think it's going away okay this is something that we're going to be dealing with you know, for probably the rest of our lifetimes. So I, I don't think this is something that you can just ignore. I think it's something you have to prepare for and then dip your toes in whenever you're ready, but make sure you've got, you know, the bullets in the chamber when you're, when you're ready to, when you're ready to play ball.
1: Mm-hmm. So you guys are both very entrenched in this conversation. I've been doing a lot of research for, you know, the past year, at least, are there any companies today who are not in a pilot phase?
2: I don't believe so. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Yeah. Not that I'm aware of either.
1: Yeah, definitely a new opportunity. So guys, as we look at wrapping up here this morning, any final thoughts? Michael, we'll start with you.
2: Um, I will say really consider what you're committing to, how long you're committing to, um, how much you'll get paid, how will you get paid, Um, leasing issues. I would definitely consider that. Um and who's going to pay for uh, verification? I would definitely, definitely look into that. And can a lien be placed on your property through these carbon contracts? Um, I would definitely say hire an attorney if you want to get into this, uh, for them to review your contract. Uh very yeah, they'll explain it, they'll discuss it with you, uh, make it very simplistic, because it is these contracts, I assume are very complex, very, very complex. So um, that is my final thought. I hope that helps. Absolutely. Thanks, Micah. Jason, same question.
0: Same question is collect, collect your data, keep it in a place that makes it interoperable, be prepared to utilize it when you can and, and make that that um, movement of data as easy as possible, so you're not having to pay a, a big fee later on down the road. Because, because you know, there's a little bit of work that could have been done in the front end to make it a lot easier to participate in all of these programs. And it doesn't matter if it's carbon. There's water programs out there. There are a whole bunch of other initiatives out there that that there are incentives available uh, for people who have who have a a good quality set of data.
1: Great. Well, there's still so much to learn about these opportunities. Um, like you said, they're evolving every day. I don't believe that this will be the only uh, coffee talk we have on this conversation. So Micah, Jason, be ready. I'm sure you will be getting emails from me here in another quarter or so. Um, I, everything is just evolving so quickly. And I think as we see some of these companies move out of the pilot phase and into an actual production phase where they're accepting a wider range of, of producers and farmers, we're going to learn a lot more. Um, and some of those details are going to come to light. And, and that's definitely something that we want to share. Uh, we did have a question come in right here. Um, let's see so beyond agronomic practices will cc ag- algorithms scott you're going to have to help me i'm only getting part of this question here all right well we do have a question here on tap as soon as he finishes um i only have part of it to to ask All right, it doesn't look like he's typing anything else. So we will follow up with both of you and get him an answer back there. Scott, make sure that you include your email address. Oh, yes, CC does stand for carbon credit. So beyond agronomic uh, practices, will CC algorithms stand for carbon credit? Yes. Uh, Micah, anything to add there?
2: Um. Sorry, I was... I was reading I I don't think I completely understand the question.
1: Yep. Well, let's move on to Todd here, you know, beyond um, the actual companies that we're signing the contracts with. Who are the third party verifiers? You know, do you have any names of companies at this time? And is it something that a farmer can go direct with them?
2: Um, I actually don't have any specific names of these verifiers. Actually. Sorry, yes, I do. Um, Locus, I believe, is one that Nora uses uh, exclusively. I believe that's the name of their company. They're also a uh, pretty much biodegradable ag company that creates ag products as well. But I think they're in the verification game. um, If someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Locus uh, Ag Solutions. um, But a lot of them, I they're very kind of difficult to find. They're more difficult to find than these all the carbon markets that are out there i've had trouble finding a lot of them um and if farmers can go direct uh i would say that that will be pretty much in the contract if you do sign up for these it will be pretty much how you get in contact or if you can just willy-nilly find any any of them and pick one
1: how oh sorry jason
2: go ahead i
0: would just add that um most of the time, the the processor, as I mentioned before, you got the processor, the farmer and and really the egg retailer here in this in this list, normally, the processor is the one that's hiring the third party verifiers. And so when you have to um when you have to participate in for that credit with with that processor, they're going to steer you to the 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 verification company. So they're they're really, isn't it an advantage for the farmer to go direct? I don't believe today to the verification company because the verification company is generally working for the processors or the NGOs that are that are looking to provide the credit.
1: And that was actually my question to you, Micah. Was when you get a hold of these third-party verifiers, how willing have they been to talk to you about what they're doing and their relationship with these other companies?
2: I actually have not been able to to speak to a verifier um, because. Once again, I don't. It, some of their websites are very vague on what they do, or not very upfront about. Yes, this is exactly we are doing carbon credits, or if they're just doing uh, soil samples and stuff like that. It is very, um, very wild west on that front as well. So, hopefully, I can speak to one soon. If anyone has any recommendations about uh, a great verifier to contact, um, I'm all ears. Good to hear. Well, another
1: question here for you, Micah, besides carbon credit, do you have any opinions on doing certified organic?
2: I actually have zero clue. Um, So I, I honestly, I have no clue about anything about certified organic or uh, that front.
1: All right, great. And we just had another Great resource here. It says one verifier that I know is Blue Source.
2: That's great. Thank you. Good.
1: You know, I think what we found this week, Jason, Micah, everyone listening, is that we're all resources for one another. Uh, Jason and Micah and I were going back there the first part of the week, sharing some information that we knew that the others may not have. I think that this is an open conversation. And it needs to continue to be an open conversation for us to get the most out of it in the ag community. Absolutely. All right. Well, it looks like we've wrapped up our questions here this morning. Micah, Jason, thanks so much for joining me. It's been a great conversation.
2: Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity.
1: Yes. And we certainly appreciate you being able to join here this morning, Micah. Brian, I think we're ready to hand things back to you.
0: Thanks for joining us for AGI SureTrack Coffee Talk. Connect with us on the web at agisuretrackcommunity.com.